Hi, I'm Lenise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Melissa Ramos, the founder of Sexy Food Therapy. Melissa and I had a fantastic conversation about her healing journey through ovarian cysts, very hairy periods, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, thyroid nodules, and fibroids. And of course, we talked about her very first period. She is a very inspiring woman. So listen on to hear our chat. I'm so excited for you to be here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm like thrilled to be here and to talk all about periods and more. Yeah. Um, so this is the question I always start with. Tell me the story of your first period. Well, I was 13 years old and I, it, it's like, it feels like such a cliche story because I was in class and it was art class in Mr. Nelson's class. And of course I was, I bled through my pants and I had a windbreaker because it was the times you wore a windbreaker. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You know, you know when you're born when, right? So anyways, I had, I remember wrapping it around my waist and I was mortified. And my friend like put a bunch of like, like the, you know, those really awful paper towels in school. It comes in one big roll. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ripped it, you know, and then put it down and she said, just go, just, you know, put, put the, the thing around your, your waist Went home. And I didn't come back to class that day because I was mortified. And I went home and my sister was home who's seven years older than me. And she's like, you got your period. And I was like, I don't know there's something wrong with me. You know, like, it was the, like I was terrified. I had no idea what was going on. And she was the one who told me like, okay, so, you know, there's menstrual pads and there's tampons and stuff. Um, and I guess cause there's such a huge age gap. She would teach me a lot of this stuff um, before even my mom got to it. My mom's awesome, but just before she got to it. And I remember that evening I was sitting for dinner and my dad, I don't know what I had said, nothing about my period. Cause I wouldn't tell my dad about it, but I said something and my dad goes, well, you're all grown up now, aren't you? Right. And my sister go, and I said, and I replied back and I remember going, you have no idea. And my sister started laughing. He's like, what are you guys <laughs> laughing about? Right. Cause you had no idea what we were talking about. Um, but the, the great thing was when I did go back to school, nobody made fun of me. And I actually was really terrified that the boys or something would say something because I bled all over my chair and I was like, Oh my God, that, you know, they're going to make fun of me when I go back to school. But like no one said anything. And so I think I was really, really lucky about that. Um, but that was my first period story. I was like only, I was 13 years old, which I feel like is much later than a lot of women are getting their periods these days. Yeah. It, it's later than a lot of women that I've spoken to, but for the age that you are, I feel like that's actually around the average age. So what's really interesting to me is that you were 13 and you said that you weren't sure what was happening to you. 
did you, when did you learn about these things in school? I know you said your sister told you about what was happening, but what about in school? What was the health ed like for you? We didn't even learn about it. You know, I mean, I'm kind of in that camp where I believe that kids should be learning about even sex ed earlier than they should. Um, then they, people say they're, you know, they're too young. I'm like, but it, there's so much shame, I think, wrapped up in the idea of bleeding or having sex or anything. And I don't, I didn't really learn about any of that. They didn't, um, you know, and even sex ed, we didn't really start talking about it more so until I remember being in high school. So like it, it, we, I, I wasn't learning about anything about periods. I knew about them from, you know, my, my mom or like my sister and I knew my mother had really heavy periods and my mother uh, is Polish born, but grew up in Brazil since she was four. So she essentially considers herself Brazilian and she had such heavy periods that she used to tell me that she would make her own peer, like her own pads because she was like, she was raised in a very, very, very poor part of um, a city in Brazil where a lot of people immigrated after the war. They were refugees from World War II. And she would say to me that they would, she would make her own pads because they were really poor and she would have that, but she bled so heavy all the time. And she would try to race home to go get some more pads because maybe she didn't have enough or something. And she used to tell me that like there were birds or something that were on the side of the road. She'd always carry a stick with her because they would try to like, they try to like nip at your legs where she'd have stockings on (laughs) all these crazy stories. But I remember her always having really heavy periods and my sister had very heavy periods. So I just was really used to it. That almost felt like the norm that I kind of always expected that was going to happen to me. And sure enough, it did. So your periods were really heavy. So when you say heavy, what does that mean for you? Oh gosh. They were like, I just remember talking to girlfriends and they're like, Oh, I I get my period like for three days. And I'm like, what is that like? You know, (laughs) what is that like? Cause I get, I was at that time I would get them for a full seven. Um, but I would probably have three days where it was like insanely heavy where I would be, you know, um, super absorbency plus tampon from OB, which was like you, it's very actually that tampon, which, you know, I, I don't use those now because I know how bad and how toxic those commercial tampons are. And they were without the applicator. And I remember how hard it was to get that specific one. Cause it didn't sell them everywhere, but they were the most absorbent you could possibly get. So I'd wear a super absorbency plus tampon and an overnight maxi. And I'd have to change both in an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so overnight I would have to like set an alarm. And I think that it was also hard during the day because you're moving and you know, like when you're sitting and all of a sudden you get up and you're like that rush and you're like, Oh, why did I just move? You know? <laughs> But like at night, I think because I was, you're laying in bed, maybe the flow doesn't feel as heavy, but I still would have to set an alarm in the middle of the night because if I didn't, then I would have to like, I'd have to change. I don't experience that anymore, but I had that for probably, if I got my period at 13, that would have been until, I probably would say until about my mid thirties and I'm 42 now. Wow. So you, you basically had 20 years of those heavy periods. 
I, 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 I mean, I want to talk more about the rest of your story because, you know, there is obviously a root cause for, for those heavy periods that tell me more about what that meant for your relationship with your period. Oh, it was like hell when it was coming. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I was thinking about this today because when it would come, it was just hell. I'm like, that's just, it's one of those things, you know, people who have Crohn's, they have to always map out where the bathrooms are. Mm. That's what was me around my period. So if I like, you know, I would schedule, I wouldn't schedule dates around the first day of my period, first or second day, because those heavy days would last for about two. The third day was manageable. Third day I could actually go out and, and like, I still have to make sure that I was like, you know, not pushing it. But the first two days were like literally would have to definitely scope out a bathroom. So I would, I would plan my life, try to plan my life around it. So I wouldn't have an accident. And I still did have tons of accidents. So my relationship with, with it was so bad at the time that I just dreaded it. Um, you know, you get the period brain. I think I still get a little bit of period brain when it comes, but not to the degree that it was before. You, you did a lot of planning in the first couple of days of your period because of the heaviness. Was it painful as well? Yeah, it was really painful. I had, I wasn't one of those women who were like, I've heard of women who they've thrown up. Um, they had horrible headaches. I was luckily that never, I've never experienced that. I would have uh, cramps, but nothing that was severe, just like pretty uncomfortable. Um, a lot of soreness and you know, back pain, but nothing against severe and just obviously a lot of fatigue because you're losing that much blood, you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. But that probably like, I, I guess I was lucky in that sense that even though the flow was so heavy, I've met women and have worked with women in practice who've had periods that were light and absolute, their, their, their symptoms were excruciating during PMS. Um, emotionally, I definitely was like all over the place where it's just kind of like, I just want to hug and for someone to feed me cake, but then I want to snap your head off and want my own alone time all at the same time. You know, like, <laughs> That's kind of that like, you know, manic sort of uh, behavior, but you know, I, I I'm lucky in the sense that I didn't struggle from extreme pain. Like a lot of women. Hmm. What was a point where, so after dealing with this for 20 years and then you, you, I guess you got to a point where you were like, okay, this something's going on here. Tell me about the point where you realized actually something, this wasn't right. Something was wrong and you needed to sort things out with your period. I think it probably, I probably would say around my mid twenties is when I, cause I, for the longest time, I just felt it was normal. I like my mom went through this and my sister went through this and, I'll probably be like my mom and have a hysterectomy, you know, and like, but this is just kind of what happens. Like, I, but then in my twenties, I'm like, I don't think it's normal. And I didn't really care so much about my health um, in my earlier twenties. And even throughout my twenties, I don't know how much I really cared about it. Cause I think that I, uh, like a lot of people, I felt sort of invincible. You know, I was an ad person. I worked hard. I played even harder, a lot of drugs, lots of alcohol. And so you're not really thinking too much and, or even correlating that like, wow, what I'm eating or how I'm taking care of myself is greatly affecting my menstrual cycle every month. So I think that a lot of the things I was doing was just adding insult to injury. It was just making it worse. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started to go see practitioners and my number one complaint was always like, I have the hardest 
like heaviest period. I just don't know what to do. And I remember seeing a Chinese medical doctor um, and literally giving her a huge sum of money and just saying, I don't like, here's a bunch of money and just start taking like my sessions off this big lump sum of money and let's start working on this. And when I did cycle charting, it was so erratic. I remember like a cardiograph um, and it started to normalize in terms of the way it's supposed to look when I was doing a lot of like herbs, my periods were still heavy. And she's like, Oh, you just have spleen she deficiency. And she's got to take, take these herbs. And I kind of gave up on it because I felt like, well, I don't really feel like it's like something isn't shifting still. Um, so, which is ironic because, you know, I, my background is nutrition and Chinese medicine. And I do think that both are very powerful, but it's also the reason why that I find that like there's more to it than just the one modality. It's why I like, you know, exploring other areas of finding out, well, why is this happening? And what are the, all these different factors that could be at play here versus just this one thing that was the reason why that this happened. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I believe in that very much, but yeah, I would probably say mid twenties was probably when it was started to become at the forefront. And I had seen multiple practitioners to try to address it and nobody not one person ran a single test on me, which is interesting. Like there was no hormone tests. There was no, you know, stool testing. There was no hair trace mineral analysis. There's nothing, you know, it was just protocols after protocols and lots of money spent. And in hindsight, looking back on, there's a lot of guessing and no testing. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was kind of like the, the opposite of, I know you, you talk about testing a lot on your in your work so the, the opposite of what you do now so as a practitioner if you could go back and speak to yourself back in your mid-20s what would you say I probably would say go to somebody who's actually going to go test you like to really get to the bottom of it and I think that so many practitioners even now like I'm not saying hormone testing is not is not valid because it is, but I also believe that hormones are very much superficial in the fact that so many things affect them. Mm. And I think that if we actually address, well, are there gut infections at play? Because if there are, well, those can affect your hormones. And for me, you know, I came from a history of having like really bad skin um, for so long and had been on rounds of antibiotics for Lord knows all these respiratory issues and thinking like, maybe that's probably where you should have started was just looking at your gut first. Um, and so that's probably what I would have said is like, go test your gut. Let's, let's start there. And honestly, one, a huge part that helped me was um, symptomatically was uh, bio natural bioidentical progesterone. And I say symptomatically because I think a lot of women will get on natural bioidentical progesterone and go, this is the answer to all my prayers just like taking Vitex is the answer to all their prayers. And I don't believe everyone should be on Vitex, but you know, it's yes. Progesterone is so needed to calm those heavy periods. And they certainly as hell calmed mine. My periods are still heavy, but they're manageable and I don't have to plan my washroom route. Um, but why is the progesterone low to begin with? Why is the estrogen high to begin with? And we, I think everybody sometimes needs a bit of symptomatic support, like any, like, let's just cut a gallon break, but you know, like you got to keep looking at those causative factors while you're addressing it symptomatically. 
So really give it, going in and giving someone something that's going to provide them with some short-term relief while you go in and you address the kind of deeper, deeper issues. I, I 100% agree, agree with that because if someone's been going through something for such a long time and they've come to you as a practitioner, you just want to be able to show them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, a thousand percent. And that's why I'm just like, it was, it was a godsend for me, but in the interim, it's just, you keep chipping away at the stuff that's there. And sometimes it's layers of stuff. Sometimes it's not even like, it's your, it's just your gut. Well, how about if it's emotional trauma? Hmm. Even stuff that it could have been there from like, before you even had the mental articulation to go like, oh, well, I remember this happening. It might've been something that was even like transgenerational from your, your family that you don't need, that you're not even consciously aware of. Like there's so many layers to us as human beings. It's quite remarkable. I was having a discussion recently about um, epigenetics and, you know, how we carry trauma in our genes. And I just find that such a, a fascinating area. And then you combine that with the whole, the, the hypothesis of racial weathering and, I'm hypothesizing here, but if you just look at something like fibroids, and I know that's um, an area of focus, one of your areas of focus, and you look at how prevalent they are within black women, and you just think, if we were able to dig deeper, you know, what is going on there? You know, how much weight does, does intergenerational trauma have to do with, you know, the prevalence of fibroids? I just think it's just... It's just fascinating. It really is because you think about, and there's, it's, it's what I find fascinating is like, I'm a huge fan of breath work and I love breath work. And there's so many different modalities of breath work, right? You know, you have Wim Hof that people do, which I don't feel is very esoteric in nature. He's just kind of like, breathe, mother. You know what I mean? I'm not going to swear, but <laughs> it's like, he's just very like, go get it, you know? Um, and then you have Dr. Stanislav, Dr. Stanislav Grof who does breath work and there's like all this like music and stuff and it kind of takes it from like shamanistic um, areas of it. But he believes like that some trauma can be very much from in utero or even from the birthing process. Mm. Because you think, okay, yeah, it was like really traumatic. Like my mother couldn't speak English and you've got nurses yelling at her to push and she's crying because she has no idea. So how traumatic not only was that for her, but for my sister coming out of her, but that you can't remember that. My mother went through war. She was a Catholic who harbored the Jews in the war, right? Like you think about this. And so it's interesting. There's a guy by the name of Mark Wolin and he's fantastic at talking about like um, traumas that happen through our lifeline and how it actually could be, the reason why like we're reacting the way we are, or even like why we're physically manifesting certain things that we do. You know, I think the black community, it's so deep rooted that trauma on so many levels, especially for women. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Um, You know? And so I think that like, I think that the, the layers are so deep in there and the beauty of breath work, um, which is one of the things that I really highly believe in into the integration process of somebody. Cause I think sometimes you can tell someone, Oh, you're healing, you're healing. But I'm like, but telling someone you're healing makes it sound like you're broken to begin with. Like you're integrating all these loose puzzle pieces. I just need to click together. And when you do breath work that it's moving the diaphragm, which then moves the lymphatic system 
in the lymphatic system is that emotional shock absorber. So there could be like trauma there from God knows when. And so I think that when women are thinking about periods, for example, you know, we have to kind of go beyond the physical part and think that like, this actually could be much deeper mm-hmm. and that it's not about abandoning one thing, but really making sure that we value the trauma work as much as we value the supplements. We value the self-parenting and getting our butt to bed at a decent time as much as we value like eating good food. Um, but I think generally people tend to abandon those things because they just don't put as much value or weight in where they should be. I, I, I'm just nodding along with you. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think that people, they want a quick fix and, you know, you can take a pill, you can take a supplement and that will give you the quick relief that we were talking about earlier. But that integrational work that you were talking about, that, that's really, that is the work, you know, that's the deep work that takes, can take months, can take years to really go through the layers of, you know, what is actually driving this. And I think that people can be afraid of that because it pulls up so many things that they just, they haven't really wanted to deal with. Yeah. And it's interesting because when it does come up, is it important for us to mentally articulate the why? Like if you experience something, did you experience it first in your mind or did you experience first in terms of like, well, no, when I experienced something, I, this is how I, like, I felt it first. I felt an energetic resonance. Then our brain makes the mental articulation of what that meant. So sometimes when women say to me, I'm, like I'm doing the breath work and I feel so sad and I, I feel so angry and they're trying to articulate the why and I wasn't held enough as a child or this one. And I'm like, does it matter? Like maybe we just need to release that, that, that stored emotion that's been sitting there that is causing us to react in so many ways. Like allow yourself to feel, but people don't want to feel because it's uncomfortable. Right. Mm. So I think it's just all those things I think are really ingrained and deeply stored into the human psyche. Like I woke up or was trying to go to bed and I was so, I don't even know why, but I was, I felt angry. I had this, this feeling of anger in me and I don't know why nothing caused me to create, to feel that way. And I could not for the life of me go to bed because of it. So I got up and I sat down and I did 15 minutes of breath work. And partway through it, I started bawling my eyeballs out. And I had no idea why. And I still think maybe I just not meant to know why. Maybe it's okay that I just released it. Like, do I need to ration it? Do I need to create a perception of what what it was and how or why like maybe it's just important that I just let go you know so I think that yes I think that when it comes to periods it's any part of your hormonal healing you gotta look deeper Hmm. I want to go back a little bit and talk about your your story and your journey to where you are today because you have quite um an interesting story um you know, you were saying about working in advertising, work, you know, playing hard, working hard. I used to work in advertising as well. So as you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, got it. You used to have been there. Been there. Um, but then you had a really dramatic experience. Um, can you share um, kind of an abbreviated version of that story for listeners who aren't familiar with it? Yeah. So I left advertising. I started to actually kind of dabble in the healing realm around that time. 
studied nutrition and left advertising to fully pursue it. Um, and after that point, um, I was really interested in Chinese medicine, but I had, when I went into that whole field, um, of nutrition and Chinese medicine, I went to, to it with the idea of like digestion, like that was kind of my thing for the longest time. And it still is right. It's usually where I like to start, but fast forward down the road. Um, you know, I had an ovarian cyst that had ruptured. Um, this was years and years after my studying and I was graduated from Chinese medicine school, but I had an ovarian cyst that ruptured. It tore off a piece of my right ovary and I got sent to hospital and they, I had no idea what was going on. All I knew that I was in a severe amount of pain. My abdomen is distended. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, the pain isn't fixed. It's like moving left to right. Maybe it's my appendix and all the diagnostic thing in my head. And they said, well, we have to do a CT scan. They did. And they said, we can't see anything other than blood. And it's right up to your lung cavity. And it's the reason why that you can't breathe very well right now, because lung, uh, blood outside of your organs is an irritant to your organs and it hurts. Um, Cause you're supposed to be in your vessels and your capillaries and your veins. And so, um, yeah, it was up to there. And they said, we have to do an exploratory surgery to find out what it is. They did a six inch vertical incision they took out about two liters of blood, um, which was a lot. And they um, had me for over an hour, hour or two of surgery or so. And that's, they had like four of the best surgeons in there from different walks of life because they didn't know what they were going to see. The ovarian cyst had ruptured, tore off a piece of my ovary. They stitched my ovary back and said, it's fine. It's in good working order. Side note, we didn't see any endo that was in there. And uh, it was months of recovery. I had 24 staples in me. And I, yeah, it took me a while to recover. It was really, really challenging. And so that's when I started kind of getting into the hormonal area, obviously spurred from that. And then from there, fast forward even further, found out that I had fibroids by mistake because I was experiencing very weird sensations in my pelvic region, not understanding, is it an ovarian cyst? I don't know. And then I went into the the hospital and luckily the radiologist was still there, did an ultrasound. And and then the doctor said, you know, we didn't find anything. Did you, did you want a copy of your ultrasound report? I said, sure. Grabbed it really sleepy, stuffed it in my purse. Next day, looked at my purse and opened up the, the results and said, two fibroids, one intramural, one subserosal. And I'm like, you wouldn't think to tell a woman who came in experiencing pelvic pain that she has like a couple of fibroids, probably a good thing, right? That's why it felt weird because I, unlike a lot of women, felt my fibroids, you know? And I have one that's shrinking right now. And so I had later discovered that I had um, Hashimoto's, um, an autoimmune thyroid condition. And who knows how long I had that that maybe it hadn't been diagnosed for years. It takes about 10 years for uh, Hashimoto's to develop. And I say that because it's not like, okay, well, one day you just get an autoimmune condition, but you know, your thyroid can really change your periods quite a bit, mm. your thyroid's function. So who knows how long I had it for so long. And maybe that was something that needed to be addressed too, but I never really had proper blood work, which is a, an ongoing issue for so many women to get complete blood work. And then they're just told that they're normal or that it's all up in their heads. Mm. Um, so I'd experienced that um, and had a bunch of thyroid nodules 
And through a lot of work that I've done, my last ultrasound, which I always uh, show on the masterclass that I've done, on one side, all the nodules are completely clear. And then the one that I had that was uh, one millimeter away from getting biopsied shrunk down by 50%. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, I always tell them and I'm like, you know, and my antibodies are almost at, almost at normal right now which is insane. And I say to women, I'm like, it's thousand percent possible to, to get past these things, but you got, it's not about being consistent. Consistency is BS. In my opinion, it's about being committed. You're never going to stray for something that you're committed to consistency. Mm-hmm. You tell women to be consistent and her little perfectionist brain starts going mental. And when she's not consistent, it's like shame follows and haunts her to death. Versus commitments, like, well, I'm going to always go back to something I'm committed to. And eventually, all those slip-ups I do are less and less. And when I do, I kind of have a little bit of grace with myself, you know? You have been through a lot. So you had the heavy periods, and then you had the surgery from the ruptured cysts. Then you found out that you had fibroids. And then you had diagnosed with Hashimoto's, and then the thyroid nodules. And... You are, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but from what I see of you, you seem like you're thriving and all of that would have put someone else on the floor. So what listeners will probably be thinking is, well, what are her secrets? How did she do it? Can you talk more about what you did on your healing journey and what you are still doing? Yeah, I think that, you know, I was the gal who when I commit to something, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go full throttle. And I think I all, I think when I did really dive into health food wise, I was always on point, you know, I was always on point with that. I had uh, a lot of struggles with addiction for quite some time, but I think the, the biggest challenge for me was the lifestyle. The sleep was something that I would eat well, I drink enough water, I'd work out, but like, sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I will work and I will work hard because it's where I get validation, right? Like a lot of people, they get validation through the work that they do. And so that was, that was the hardest part to integrate was the sleep was crushing the codependent patterns, the need to people please to validate my sense of self-worth to distract myself from feeling because hey if i can make someone else feel good then i've done a good job i think that those are really huge catalysts and definitely addressing um the trauma and from a food perspective um you know i'm a huge fan of, of looking at the gut and i had a lot of gut infections that were at play um that was something that i noticed And I ended up actually, I was in Bali last year for five weeks. Prior to going to Bali, I started to experience some pretty intense gut pain and realized it was from um, an H. pylori infection that I had. And what I, and H. pylori for the listeners listening is um, the same bacterial infection that creates peptic ulcers. And it's found in two thirds of the world's population. And there's studies to even show that women who have very low levels of progesterone tend to actually have a higher incidence of H. pylori because progesterone is also anti-inflammatory in nature. And so we also need progesterone for thyroid health. People who have thyroid conditions also sometimes has H. pylori. And when you have H. pylori, 
you don't have much stomach acid. So it's like a welcome party for all bacteria and parasites to come into your gut. So it was no surprise that I had all this gut pain. I didn't have Bali belly. I literally was, it was because of that. I ended up thinking to myself, why is it, does it hurt after I eat almost all my meals except for breakfast? And then I realized breakfast was the only meal that was all protein. So I decided I went on this whole quest to kind of go, and I say this like loosely, but carnivore-ish. And I say carnivore-ish because I was not full carnivore. And I don't label myself as carnivore, um, but a meat-based diet. And it was literally like someone just turned off the switch to pain. Like that. And all the gut pain was gone. It was so bad that I thought I was trying to get a flight home. Um, I was reeling in pain for five, six hours because it was so intense. And I just stuck to eating. Like now I think my diet, um, I would say is pretty high fat, but I do eat vegetables and fruit. But when I took the Cyrex test, which is a, a food intolerance test, it's done by blood. I was intolerant to a ton of foods, but you don't, you're not intolerant to a ton of foods until you understand why. And usually it's from gut infections. So yeah, I went carnivore ish, meaning I still eat, you know, berries and apples or pears sometimes, but my diet is primarily protein and pretty high fat. And it has been an absolute godsend for my gut. It's been an absolute godsend for my thyroid and my hormone levels, but the breath work has been huge. The sleep has been huge. The bigger boundaries has been massive. Like that's where a big part of my healing really was and working out where I'm like, I'm going to rest today and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Like I don't want to do high impact workouts. You will never catch me at a boot camp or a cycling class. Like I would rather die than to do those. Like there's, I will do what, what my body feels is best for it. And for me, that's usually like a yoga or a Pilates where it's not a high impact thing. Um, so that's probably the secret sauces are in multiple parts. Mm. Going back to what you're saying about being on a carnivore-ish diet, I know that some people listening will think, whoa, 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 eating all that meat, that's you know bad for the environment. We get told that meat is so bad for us. Um, I have my own view on that as in that there's no one size fits all, you know, you've got to do what's right for you. But what I'm sure you heard, if you talked about this publicly, I don't know if you talk about what you eat publicly, but what has your been your response to people who are kind of like, you know, what the way you're eating is wrong? I always say one size fits all approach doesn't work. Um, I also say the results are in the pudding because look at my numbers. It's improved. Um, I think that meat has the highest bioavailable nutrients um, other than plants. Um, so I think that there's that. I grew up in a meat-based household. My, my family is Brazilian. Like you can't get more meat-based than that. Um, but, you know, I, whether it's bad for the environment, I, I think that you have to vote with your dollar. And I think that if you're buying, I don't buy commercially raised meat. I purchase organic and grass fed. Um, I also switch up my protein sources. My favorite is beef, but, um, you know, sometimes I try to get with local weather where I'm right now, they're going to have a lot of elk and venison. So I try to switch up because you're getting more nutrients from different animals. Um, and also, um, I, 
try to get in some organ meats as well. I think that we strayed so much away from like people will rant and rave about how bad things are for the environment when there's like monocropping of soy and corn going on. I'm like, you don't understand the, the amount of life of wildlife that has actually been killed by the growing of, you know, plant-based foods. And again, I'm not demonizing plants at all, but I'm also, you know, I think that um, organic and grass-fed farming can be extremely regenerative to uh, the environment. Um, I, a lot of people don't realize, but, you know, with fruits and vegetables, you require blood meal. So there's actual animal fragments in there to, you know, um, to grow those. Um, so a lot of people I know that are like, was bad for the hormones because of this. And I'm like, but what is, because if you look at that, if you look at the estrogen and that it is in grass fed organic meat, and then you compare that to the estrogen levels in soy, or even other various things, you're going to see massive differences, a lot of different differences in that. Um, my issues haven't gotten worse. My issues have only gotten better. They've only improved. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I don't subscribe to diet dogma. So mm-hmm. that's why I say carnivore-ish because sometimes, yeah, I will, like, I, do I ever eat grains? Rarely. I mean, I, one day I, out of the blue, I was like, I really want oatmeal. I never freaking eat oatmeal. I, I don't remember the last time I ate it, but I bought some and I made some. Oh my God, is the world crashing? No. But that day, my body really wanted it. So I had some. I didn't feel terrible after eating it, which is a bonus. But I think that you have to, I think that sometimes the dogma of various um, eating regimes, even carnivore, can be so extreme. It's, it's something. And I think that we strayed so much away from like, food that back in the day when people ate meat, they ate like, especially in Brazil, you know, you're talking about people who uh, were slaves, who were poor. They ate every single part of the animal because they had to, you know, they looked at, and that's why even now it's like, if I can eat some organs, I will. And for those that I know that I'm not going to like, like kidney, I think it's gross because just personal taste preference. Um, I will end up probably getting that in desiccated form um, from various supplement companies to supplement what I have because you're getting a lot of those micronutrients. I think that eating muscle meats alone, you're really straying from that. Like even if I'm making a stew, I'll put bone in there because I know I'm going to get the collagen from that. Like when my dad made, it's a Brazilian dish called feijoada and feijoada was like actually from um, the African slaves in Brazil who would make it and they would make it from every part of the animals, a bean dish with lots of meat. And I remember when my dad made it, when we were kids, you make it for a big amount of people. And there's like, there's ear, there's tongue, there's like a hoof in there. Like there's everything that's in there, but you kind of grew up and thinking, that was just normal. So what did we eat? Right. But now everyone wants this pretty cellophane packaging. And I'm like, that's not, that's so far from what it is, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely try to respect as much as humanly possible from the animal. I am nodding along because I'm in this world and I I agree with what you're saying. But, you know, what we hear from a lot of mainstream health people is, you know, vegan is best, vegetarian is best. And you and I both know we both said it. There's no one size fits all. So I'd say for listeners who are confused about what to eat, 
it goes back to listening to what your your body is telling you. So Melissa said she craved oatmeal. So she went and got some oatmeal. You know, really tune in to the signals and the signs of your bodies and don't feel like you have to stick to these templates just because, you know, some influencer is saying everyone should be vegan. You know, that might not be right right for you. <laughs> I feel so passionately about that. No, I totally agree. Because even, you know, I have some patients of mine who do really well with, you know, higher vegetable count. I do believe that most women are probably not eating enough protein. Um, as we age, our, we, our muscles break down. Um, we need the protein for, um, you know, blood sugar balancing. And unfortunately, when you're vegetarian and vegan, you have to combine various foods, starches, legumes, etc. A lot of these foods have a lot of anti-nutrients in them, like lectins, things that uh, prevent the assimilation of those nutrients. And that high starch can be very problematic for a lot of people, especially for insulin levels. So is that protein combining actually right for you? And I think that that has to be a really integral part before someone really commits to a specific diet. Like, is it right for you? Hmm. So look at what's right for you. So tell Tell listeners more about what you're up to now in your business. I know you've got a lot of things going on. Tell us what's coming up for you. Yeah. So right now, you know, we have a membership that has been running, gosh, for probably about five, I want to say five years or so, Sexy Lady Balls. Everything I do is kind of kitschy. So if you find me on Instagram and you see Sexy Food Therapy, you're going to go, wow, this girl just dressed up as a big vulva (laughs) or a big fibroid. Yes, that's me. And I, I like to have people to laugh and learn um, some of these very complex topics. Um, so we have this membership called Sexy Lady Balls, Lady Balls referring to your ovaries. And there's women from all walks of life in there. And it's great because we have women there, whether they have fibroids, like we really specialize mainly in those estrogen dominant conditions, the fibroids, the endo, the adenomyosis, the ovarian cysts, the polycystic ovarian syndrome. And there's so many women in the program, in the membership, who have thyroid conditions. And pretty much all of them across the board are struggling with their adrenals. So it's not to say we don't have women in menopause, um, because we do. Um, But that's, you know, a huge part of my work. Um, And I'm in the process of uh, developing something that's not going to release for a while, um, not until probably uh, the fall of 2021. It's an autoimmune program. And, uh, but uh, right now, that's right now is, is Sexy Lady Balls. And at some point, I got to get my book together. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's a, a labor of love. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And it's been extremely fruitful and amazing and wonderful to chat with women and to support them. Because I think especially with hormonal work, it's not like a okay, you did this for 30 days and you're healed. It's, you know, you you want to give them ongoing support, which is why the membership has been created. And that's really where, you know, these women join at a really low priced monthly fee. And then they have the opportunity to upgrade, to get testing. And my job is to really fight tooth and nail to try to get them to get complete blood work. So we have women in there from Australia, from, you know, all parts of Europe, from the States and to Canada. And, I want these women to get answers. Like that to me is my number one goal because like I said, who knows if I had 
thyroid issues in my twenties and thirties, and it was just undetected, you know? Um, and that's why I think especially blood work is so key. So we try to make sure that we get resources for women so that they get answers. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, uh, how do I fight to get the right blood work done with my doctor? How do I have a conversation with my doctor? What, what would you say? I think that the hardest part is I think, I don't think it should be a fight. Mm. If you're having a fight, then I think that it's time to look elsewhere and to just, you, you know, manage your energy accordingly. So you're not pushing up the stream. Um, I think it's important to look to work with um, an alternative care practitioner, whether it's someone like myself, a naturopath, a functional nutritionist, what have you, who may have those resources for you. Um, And usually those resources will require you to pay out of pocket to get testing. Now in the States, you know, people are used to paying always out of pocket for their health. In Canada, it's like, oh, well, go into the doctor and just get blood work done and we're good. You kind of feel like it's free, right? Um, And sometimes I find that that's probably the most challenging to work with are my fellow Canadians. But, you know, I I say, I'm like, you got to, I think there's a weird thing, especially with women about investing in themselves that it's like, you know, and I'm not talking about fashion and they might be like, I invest in myself all the time on Amazon Sure. But is that actually investing in yourself? Like something that's going to be like fruitful and abundant to your body. Like, are they distractions or are they actual investments? Mm. Right? Like, are you spending or are you investing? Because those are two very different things. But most women really struggle with investing in themselves. They'll like, you know, and that's why we try to keep the membership rate low. And then we have upgrades for stool testing and all the rest. And even that I try to keep as low as humanly possible, but yeah, it it definitely comes to a distraction issue, a self-worth issue. And these again, come down to those very deep core patterns that I think a lot of women have so deeply ingrained that are a huge part of why they're struggling and then still looking for that pill to fix everything. Mm. So for listeners who they're listening they've heard everything you've said but what would you want that one thought that they would take away to be I would say probably the biggest one thought would be if you're struggling and you're confused and you're overwhelmed I think that sometimes you have to sometimes let go and seek the help of somebody. And if you seek the help of somebody and they haven't done any testing, that should be a red flag to you. I think that um, you also have to be mindful and think like, is there trauma that's here? You know, is there codependent issues that are here? Like sometimes something as small as like just getting your butt to bed earlier. I said this to my husband all the time. I'm like, man, if more women just got sleep, so many other issues would improve. <laughs> you know, ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself these hard questions. Because when you're really sleep deprived, you're going to want to eat everything on your fridge. You're going to think that you suck. Never trust your thoughts in a tired brain. No matter, I don't care if you are the most evolved human being. I still say that to myself to this day. So remember to say that to yourself. Like, I'm feeling really, I'm really beating myself up today. Am I tired? Yes. Okay. I can admit that I'm tired. Cool. Never trust my thoughts on a tired brain. Got it. Cool. 
So I would say that that probably, but I would always say like when it comes to your health, the number one thing is like, start with your lifestyle first. Mm. Cause you can eat all the amazing foods, but man, if your lifestyle sucks, you're never going to stay on plan. It's why most people have fallen off the bandwagon. It's just because you don't have a food problem, man. You have a lifestyle problem. Mm. So that probably would be what I, where I would leave people with. So look at your lifestyle, look at your sleep, look at your, look at your trauma. I think amazing. Thank you so much. You've you've brought so much to this conversation. I'm so, so thrilled to have you on the show. Um, Listeners can find you on Instagram, on your website. So it's, it's sexy food therapy and uh, all the links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Melissa. My pleasure. Thank you. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.